Hello, and welcome to Brett Easton Hell Yes, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the works of controversial author Brett Easton Ellis. My guest on this episode is Liz Andre. This is part two of our two-part discussion of Brett's new book, White. So if you haven't listened to part one already, I recommend you go back and do that. And now, uh, here's the show. Oh, the next thing that comes up. All right, so this is when I truly realized how ancient it was. If you could, your voice is so beautiful. Read the um, after the jump on page 118, just the first part of that. Most people of a certain age probably noticed this when they joined their very first corporation. That's, that's Facebook, it. Facebook. Yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> and go on, but that's the sentence. Most people of a certain age probably noticed this when they joined their very first corporation. That's an interesting sentence. What? Yeah, so... What does that mean when they joined their very first corporation? God, okay. I want to make this point a little bit later, but this is the moment where I wrote down is, well, Brent is one, Brett is 1,000 years old. And then, yeah, a little <laughs> bit later, is Brett Banksy? Oh, no, I wrote it. Is Brett Banksy? <laughs> is Brett Banksy? <laughs> I think I think the answers are resounding. Yes. Yeah. Like <laughs> join their very first corporation. Like, damn, you really got them, Brett. Mm. They are joining that corporation. Damn, they look at their phones a lot too, don't they? <laughs> and then let's see. Okay. And then after this, he has these ideas of likability and relatability that for him are bad, but like uh-huh. they're great things. He's just given weird names to. Uh, he's given great names to like concepts they doesn't have together. We'll talk about yeah. later because I I feel like he wants to just I don't know. So, anyways, in this paragraph, he goes on to um, talk about let's see, reputation, economy, giving positive reviews. No one wants to look like a hater. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. The point is, Brett has never watched Black Mirror, but he no. seen up to the South Park. But he did not watch Black <laughs> Mirror where with the with the five stars. He wouldn't have written this because he did just write the episode of Black Mirror badly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Todd. I know. I know you've seen Black Mirror. Show Brett Black Mirror. Did, he, did Todd read this? <laughs> did Todd? He yes. Have, he read it before he published it. Yeah. Why did Todd let Brett invent Black Mirror? That's mean. <laughs> Look, Todd. Uh, Cleaning up, cleaning up after Brett is a full time job. Todd's got other stuff to do. Does he? He. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like so. I feel like Brett is bringing up likability and relatability, like they're disgusting concepts, and also the idea of a reputation economy as horrifying. And I feel like that does not surprise me, coming from a person who is so hateable and so alienating <laughs> and has such a bad reputation. Like, yeah, yeah, of course, you don't like these things. Like, definitely, the conclusion is, like, Brett, as the only person, like, only contrarian who has, like, any sense of empathy has ever read a book, he's confused that for, like, having some sort of wisdom or, like, <laughs> having a good idea in your head. Yeah. But, like, he's the only contrarian that even verges on likability or examines what they're saying. Uh, at any point, yeah. even retroactively, like, <laughs> yeah. he fundamentally confuses likability and relatability, and his whole deal. Uh, <laughs> it could be likable and relatable just by like 
not 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 him the gas sometimes. Thinking about his thoughts, keeping his head for like ten more minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he says, okay, rather than embracing the truly contradictory nature of human beings with all of our biases and imperfections and flaws, we continue to transform ourselves into virtuous robots, or at least what our side thinks a virtuous robot should be. And I feel like this is truly just some primo Brett, like not understanding what is going on when people are telling him like, hey, this kind of thing isn't cool to say, or like, hey, that's hurtful to, to some people. Which page is that? Uh, that is on page 119. Okay. Yeah. So he, you're absolutely right that he was 1,000 years old, and it is has never been clearer <laughs> than it is here. Thanks for letting me see inside your old man brain, Brett. I'm sorry for being mm. mean to you. I, I just love you so much, and I want you to do better. We all love Brett, and we all want Brett to do better. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the question I asked myself is, has Brett ever been on social media? It seems like he is not. He was on Twitter for a long time, but it seems like he wasn't soaking it up because no one is likable or relatable on social media. It's all contradictory <laughs> and being a dumbass. What is he pulling from? He's inventing what people are doing on social media. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. He, he'll talk, he talks about Twitter and like how – how he misses like the old days of Twitter when the, like the whole purpose was to just go on there and like make offensive jokes and say dumb shit and like nothing on Twitter meant anything. Yeah, yeah. And now he's like, uh, and now he's like, Oh, but now when you, when you say something on Twitter, now it's like you said that in the real world. And, and now like Twitter is all about like taking stances but I, I think that he's never really engaged that much with social media and his experience of social media has always pretty much been like him tweeting stuff and then people responding to it. And he's just noticing like kind of a change in the way that people responded to him saying shit. And at, uh, at a certain point, he stopped getting the response he wanted. Yeah, it's just this is a personal problem, Brett. You need a not. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I have like I've highlighted all the points where Brett shows empathy and green. This one is um, he's talking about sort of the reputation economy. And actually mm -hmm. dives into lightly some like really important parts of it that are deeply empathetic. Um, because like, you know, uh, he'll go into this later, but he talks about like millennials are broke as shit. Like he's a Gen Xer and he mm -hmm. had money and that's what makes him different. And so, here's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being likable, like that's your most valuable asset in the reputation economy. And uh, it's an ominous reminder of how financially desperate people are. Like that's the yeah. point where I'm like, you do see something, Brad. You're just too tired to push forward. <laughs> yeah. And it's like when he says when he says something like that, that is like a good point, he moves on so quickly. But when he makes a terrible point, he dwells on it for pages and pages. Well, it's easier to like write what you don't know than to like learn something new. So I do <laughs> identify with being this lazy, not writing and releasing a whole book of that. I, I wouldn't do that, um, but definitely I, I empathize with that a lot. Yeah. God, he is so much. Makes half of a good point about social media here that it comes to bad conclusions. Hasn't been on social media. Only likable contrarian. Yeah, and then he talks about um, American Psycho and how that went bad for him. He got kicked out of his first corporation. Uh, it's a line here on page 123 near the bottom. And it's like, oh, poor Brett. Little baby, I, I want to protect him. I think that he talks about his ex Jim in this chapter when he's talking about American Psycho. And Jim's like, mm 
um, you know, people are people are getting mad. And he's like, what? People wouldn't be like that. It's like, Brett, you sweet little angel. Jim's like, nah, people are going to hate it. And he's like, oh, I'm still going to, I'm still going to write it. So he, he does that. Um, and I think that Jim hexed Brett. And I think we should get Brett into witchcraft. <gasps> Let's do it. Yeah. And what could what could go wrong? I, I have I have a couple of thoughts while reading this book. Things that Brett should get into. That's definitely one of them. I think he really like slow burn fan fiction. Um, oh yeah. In that live that good Fujoshi life. What what fanfic do you think that Brett would would like to read? The slow stuff because he does talk in somewhere in here about like how it used to be so hard to find porno. And now it's mm. sort of reminiscing. It's like, you know, you, you need to read about two boys just like looking at each other sort of hornily for 24 chapters. That'll get you right in the good spot that you're where that nostalgia is the hole is. Yeah, absolutely. He says, where did it go? He throughout this book, he keeps he keeps kind of referring to sense censorship or even kind of like self self censorship or people like wanting to curate their experience and not just be exposed to everything that's thrown their way he keeps saying that this is, he keeps describing this as being fascist um so on page 127 he he says it he it, it comes up many yeah. times in this book um he says where's a good place to start he says like the idea that if you can't identify with someone or something then it's not worth watching or reading or listening to is now commonplace in our society and sometimes used as a weapon to attack somebody else which is interesting because he's like that is like half a good point that but he's then, also undoing but then it. he's undoing it at the same time yeah because he's like yeah you shouldn't have to like you should be able to enjoy uh, media that's like not just about your experience. But then he's also like, stop, stop shoving like, <laughs> like movies about black people down my throat. Yeah. Uh, the previous chapters where I went insane. So I'm still insane reading this, but this is where Brad's <laughs> losing it. So it has to, the point you made, you can't identify someone or something. And blah, blah. That's not really a good point, but I see where it's coming from as like a, a wealthy white man. Um, in uh -huh. paragraph, he says like, you know, Racism or sexism is attributed to people when it could just be an uninterested or clueless white person. And I think that's where, like, he has some empathy that's maybe a little misguided because he's not thinking about the people who are saying the things. He's thinking about the people who, like, may just be misunderstood in that moment. So that's him yeah. wrong, but, like, having a fundamental concept that we can work with. Um, yeah, he says it's fascist. We, I will not make the argument that Brett understands or cares about politics. He does not know what that word means, and I do not expect him to. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he just thinks, like, when he's saying fascist, he's he's kind of using it in the way that people, people don't really do this anymore because now Nazis have made such a comeback. But, like, five, ten years ago, <laughs> people would say, like, oh, I, I'm a total Nazi about this. Yeah. And it just meant, like, I'm anal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it sort of feels like that's what he means when he's saying like, oh, it, it is fascist. But he's, but he's saying it with a tone that sort of implies that he's not just being flippant. Like it sort of feels from context like you are supposed to take it seriously. It's just, but I don't think there's anything like substantial no, there's no <laughs> to it. Take it. Seriously, like even if he wants you to, he didn't put in the work. Sorry, Brett, we're not going to take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. And he, this is something that is like fundamentally. And it's interesting because he opens this book with a quote about how hypocrisy is what keeps society moving smoothly. 
And it's like, I wonder how much that is self-directed. Like how much is that kind of the skeleton key to this book of like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> yeah, I know I'm a hypocrite. Or how much is he pointing that outwards at other people? It's not clear. But he repeatedly calls like leftists or like social justice warriors fascist for being like too strident about their beliefs, too strident about like trying to censor the Milo Yiannopoulos of the world. And then he's also, he's also like, it is unacceptable. Like people, like people get so, so hysterical about like, oh, the, about the right, about like that he's like offended by people calling the right, like fascist, even when they're like full on like proposing, <laughs> proposing like purporting fascist ideology and like proposing yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, legislation that <laughs> real anti anti-fascism is fascism situation um I think yeah the has already talked about it at length um i don't think we should give better revival on that one it's his fault for being that's young. fair but no you're making yeah. a very good point and uh, i think what's really telling is at the conclusion of that paragraph you read it's uh mm -hmm. lower on 127 he says mm -hmm. not being able or willing to put yourself in someone else's shoes to view life differently from how you yourself experience it is the very first step towards being not empathetic. So that was a really important lens yeah. for me um, because like he's not doing the thing he said you should do. And I think Brett would really like to lean into being called a hypocrite because that's easy. And I don't want him to do yeah. that. I want him to think about what he's saying and how he can draw other points than the ones he has because I think they're incorrect or not even... I think he's not giving his attention to the people who deserve it more. And I think he would personally like to fix that. And just that, yeah. that's what I believe about Brett is that he doesn't want to be wrong. But like if people are going to yell at him anyways, he'll just like embrace that. Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting, there's an interesting like side to Brett's personality that I wouldn't have intuited. But like the more, <laughs> the more I've learned about him, the more it seems like he really doesn't want to upset anybody. <laughs> He like, he's like kind of, you know, is like, is always just kind of like wondering about things, kind of like throwing shit out there just to kind of like see how it sounds to like decide if he believes it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he feels like that's just how people should interact. And then when he like throws some bullshit out there and people are like, that was hurtful. You shouldn't say that. That has a negative effect on people. He's like, whoa, I wasn't, I, I didn't mean anything by it. I was just saying bullshit the way that people do. And he really like fundamentally, I don't think has internalized that like words can have real effects, <laughs> which is weird coming from an author. <laughs> about Brett. Okay. So you're talking about that. And like, by the way, Brett, that's what most of us call like an internal dialogue um should be inside your head use your inside voice for those <laughs> thoughts until you find them that might be a good idea maybe uh, maybe you shouldn't have written a book about it would that be the solution <laughs> but oh we, truly words to live by if you jump back to the previous page 124 and 125 mm -hmm. he does explain exactly where he's coming from um in a way that explains it'll allow you to understand like sort of read the rest of what happens next but um, mm -hmm. yeah, on 124, at the bottom of the first paragraph, you know, he says, art has never offended me. And then he says something really smart at the top of the next one, which is, um, maybe this was a case of an actual offense against a privileged white male. He's talking about American Psycho and all that stuff. And like, he didn't understand the thing that happened. None of us do, by the way, I think. 
Yeah. But yeah, he says, maybe in this case, actual offense against privileged white male, though these are rightly never tied to oppression. And like, damn, bro, you <laughs> do have a tool set that you could yeah. doing it, but you do understand like oppression fundamentally. You just aren't going to start because yeah. that doesn't serve your point, your bad point. Yeah. That honestly, that moment to me, like, is so that's so reasonable and like right and coherent just that like which is reasonably never tied to oppression that i was like that was a note from somebody like some, some editor was like you got to clarify this here and he's like fine whatever and that's maybe unfair no, that's um but fair. that's just- probably more fair than me i am i am definitely too soft on my boy uh, i love him so much and <laughs> want, want the best for him and maybe give him a little too much rope yeah um yeah that could uh, sweet boy although, i don't know this editor would like make i don't know but that is yeah it shows that he can say the right thing yeah and someone else yeah. told him to like that also goes against the entire point he's making but whatever um, yeah yeah it's unclear it just like it sticks out it's so it's so different from the tone he strikes in the rest of this book that there's something something different happened in the process well, there but i don't know what. when we jump back to post-sex i'm gonna go deep into this um, okay, great. There's a thread. Uh, yeah, so he's talking about himself. He does say the words Polanski's taste for minors, which Brett. Oh, Brett. Brett. <sighs> and so his conclusion is that he can separate art from its creator, which, like, most people can do that, Brett. Yeah. He says, like, my goal is to be confronted by things. And then he does admit, like, the fact that I came from a conventional background, although in many ways it certainly wasn't, might, I suppose, have encouraged my desire to see the worst. Um, the litany of what did I want to be challenged? He does not feel that way still. <laughs> he does not like being challenged. He wrote a book about it. No. Yeah. But like this whole thing is he's talking about how he uh, he does have empathy. And I believe that to be true. And he says, you know, I sense I was that outsider that he talks about, which like he looks at the monstrous because he believes himself to be that. That's a real feeling. That's a real big mood that I think he thinks defines him. Um, but it's also like that one Amazon review we talked about at the top where it's like, you know, we're ignoring all the white men who read American Psycho and they thought it was just so good. <laughs> yeah, in that um in the review that I mentioned earlier that that um makes a lot of good points, but it has uh like no affection for Brett. Um she's she's like, great, this is another in a long series of books by like white men who are the insider who are saying like, oh yeah, I feel like the outsider. And it's like, no, you absolutely are not. And she like uh she has a good point. But I also see like especially she especially as a gay point. man. She has a good point though. She, yeah, she does. Uh, yeah, I'm not trying to like do an opposite point. I'm just saying that like here he has the tools to go back and apply that elsewhere. Like if he wants to see things that are challenging and that, you know, are really outsider, he can go do that. He can go make some broke friends um, and he'll yeah. actually <laughs> see new things. It's just he knows how he just doesn't know how to do the thing that he wants right now because of, you know, the bubble he's in the particular one. Uh, but yeah. he would be able to like grow the sense of empathy. I truly believe, especially based on what he says here, uh, he just hasn't. And you know, it's good we're recording this podcast. Uh, someone get back to him. Uh, he'll hire me to fix him, and it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I think there's hope. <laughs> yeah. So okay, we're going back. The memoir stuff. Yeah, the memoir stuff is cute. He's empathetic. He reads a lot. Mm-hmm. He certainly reads a lot. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> here's something you were talking about earlier. Page one twenty six. 
so you're talking about how like white men get offended by stuff, you know, uh, probably more than like people from minority backgrounds because like, and it is a real thing that like other people getting like, you know, um, what's the word? Representation and some smaller income of power, it does take away from the power and representation that white men get. That's true. It yeah. comes from somewhere and it is from white men. So mm -hmm. I think you know, mm -hmm. white men are sort of, it feels scary for them because they are having something taken away. It's just something that they shouldn't have had in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And I think we can talk a lot about that sort of in this chapter because like he's talking about millennials and like, you know, um, political correctness. He talks about the James Franco roast. <laughs> yeah. And like all the gay jokes. I watched that roast. They weren't funny gay jokes. They're just sort of old rehashes of jokes mm -hmm. and it comes to a weird conclusion um about how like marginalizing identities makes jokes funny but like i don't know. do you have any thoughts on this bit i i mean i didn't watch the james franco roast i did watch the aziz ansari clip from the james franco roast and i was like that's better than anything i've ever seen on a roast like like him like Brett sees it as Aziz coming on and being like the scolding school teacher and like ruining the mood. But for me, it was like, yeah, like that's, that's funny. Like being like, <laughs> like, like calling these guys out for like making like dumb, terrible, like homophobic jokes. Yeah, making like that is, that is funnier. That's comedy though. That's good comedy is making everyone uncomfortable and they have to look at themselves and like laugh at what they've done wrong. Yeah. And, and Brett is like totally in favor of that when it's on the other side. Like, yeah, it's good to make people uncomfortable with your homophobic jokes, but he's not in favor of making people uncomfortable with like calling out your homophobic jokes. Brett would be such a bad comedian. I'm glad he didn't do that one. He's oh my God, he would be so bad. He fundamentally <laughs> misunderstands what makes things funny. And like, this is just him talking about something at length with no expertise whatsoever and kind of the opposite understanding of what comedy is. Cause like, cause I watched the resonance. It was like, "Hey, James Franco, you enjoy butt sex with other men?" And I was like, ah, "Yeah, he 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 does enjoy butt sex in a gay way." Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny that Brett thinks that is funny. <laughs> I and I wonder, does, though, he's not that dumb, is he? Maybe. I mean, well, he ends it with, um, "Their laughter is the undeniable corrective to Ansari's criticism. Some shit's just funny." So. It feels to me like he like he loved those James Franco's a homo jokes. And I wonder how much like I wonder how much he's like forced himself to love homophobic jokes because he so doesn't want to be like a snowflake. He he so wants to be like a good sport <laughs> that he wants to be like, yeah, I'm not offended by anything. I love homophobic jokes. Let's make AIDS jokes. Let's make butt sex jokes. Like it's it's great. It's hilarious. And he's like overcorrected and he can't even see when it's just like a bad joke. Yeah, it's just and I think what he's I think he's being in oh God, what's that word, that smart one? And uh not the thing she it's in that area in in, I feel like I know the word you, you mean. My brain, I said it. Yeah, we're disingenuous. Yeah, disingenuous. Thank you so much. <laughs> being disingenuous, I think, because in the paragraph that starts at the bottom of page one twenty eight, you know, mm -hmm. he says what I think is a point that he gets at, especially in the last chapter, 
Um, this mm-hmm. seemed problematic. Well, and Cyrus explained a particular narrative, the idea that it might be better to protect a marginalized group from being the brunt of jokes. And this seemed problematic because it was, was it really so progressive to marginalize gays even further by not making fun of them? And this is something that I don't think Brett is correct or incorrect about, but he is noticing something that like we haven't had that conversation about as a society. Um, and I think he's drawing bad conclusions from it, but I think that's not his fault because we haven't come together and sort of gotten the right conclusions for it. Oh, Brett does talk about how like he's from Gen X. So like, you know, maybe millennials don't get him because he is from the most pessimistic and um, most ironic generation. <laughs> like, okay, Brett, and you did say earlier that you've never, like, you're not good at Tumblr. I, you, I agree. Because we're all making horny memes about dying. Like, you think you're pessimistic and ironic. Like, you are like small baby. Let me. <laughs> yeah, I think we're like, first of all, I do think he knows one millennial and it's yeah. Todd. So, <laughs> um, uh, I, I, he was friends with Lindsay Lohan for a while. I don't think they talk anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then also, I think if you ever did try to like wade into millennial online discourse, like we're just too many layers deep in references and irony at this point for him to even know what's going on. Like he wouldn't be able to identify it as irony or as pessimism because he'd just be like, why is Bart Simpson so grainy? <laughs> oh my God, that's exactly what I was thinking about. And he has laser fries. <laughs> yeah, that's a real point. Um, there's just a couple more points I want to hit on. He does uh, talk about living with his millennial, and he does point out that he's 22 years his junior. So, like, how young is your millennial boyfriend, Brett? 22 years younger. Okay, you had to say that in there. Like, I see. Um, on 131, he right in the middle, he started talking about the oversensitive generation wuss. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to read what he says. If you think it's better for listening, let's do. But millennials <laughs> in the way you think he would. Yeah, I don't think there's anything particularly exciting to share here. It's kind of kind of boilerplate millennial complaints. Yeah, like if you thought about Brady Snellis in the last five years, you you know what he's saying about millennials. You know. Yeah. Uh, but here it says, uh, he makes a point. Um, he's talking about us and all our problems. And he's saying uh, it's possibly exacerbated by the meds many this age have been fed since childhood. Yeah, since childhood by overprotective helicopter moms. And I think this is where I think Todd's fucking with them. And he's like, oh, like, I, I'm, I'm doing this positive thing. It's because I was helicopter parented and, like, oh, I had so many meds shoved down my throat. I think Todd's just telling him some stuff that's partly true. Maybe. Yeah, I definitely, there's, like, a, there's kind of, like, a, it's kind of a cliche of, like, kids are over-medicated or, like, you just, like, shove a, shoving ADHD me- medication down their throats to, like, keep them quiet. Um, I've not, i I only know one person who feels like they were medicated inappropriately by their parents and like it did damage them. Um, but I, but I have no reason to think that that's actually like a phenomenon that was widespread in our generation. Like it seems like that was kind of a one-time situation. Is this a thing? Is this a thing that happened to our generation? Well, it really shows that you don't date men. Um, <laughs> like it half is, there is like the, the medications, but like, Oh, men just want to complain. I had someone tell me that, like, his parents didn't over-medicate him. They sent him to Montessori school, and, like, he's happy they didn't do that, and he's not going to take medications ever. I had someone who did get, like, a lot of medications and messed them up, and he was like, I'm not going to take medications ever. And they did, and he turned out better because he did need – he had some bad stuff going on that I think uh, medication was useful for. 
Um, then I had uh, an ex who was autistic and I, I don't know how many medications he took, but like it is his mom's fault that he, he didn't have sex until he was in his 20s because he was diagnosed with autism young. So there, it, this is something men complain about, but they can come okay. at it from any direction. It doesn't have to be a thing that like actually happens. Okay. Like, that's sort of the breadth of experiences I've seen. And like, there is no cohesive like thing joining them together. It's that <laughs> someone right. else's fault that they're like this. Mm, yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, that is a really good cohesive point. My bad. I want to go over this really fast, but he does talk about a uh, suicide of an 18 year old college student. And this is. Like, oh, like, God. Like, but yeah. This is like the worst part of the book. I hate this. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so this kid commits suicide because his roommate used a webcam in his dorm room computer to film him making out with another man and then tweeted about it. Deeply embarrassed by this prank, uh, Tyler threw himself yeah. off the George Washington Bridge a few days later. So this is, yeah, definitely the worst of Bradley Snell's. Like, I don't have any apologize for this. He does say prank twice. Yeah. Um, And I think... And one time he calls it a relatively harmless yeah, yeah, prank, yeah, yeah. I believe. I have that like, That's clearly, it clearly wasn't. Could not, I think we could point to some harm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. And he's, yeah, he's really coming at it from a place of like, this is a symptom of the oversensitivity of millennials and that this, that this kid committed suicide. Like this kid was in the wrong to be hurt by this. It just, I think that, like, having read his entire body of work, I think there's some stuff in Brett's past that, like, is really dark, and he mm -hmm. doesn't want to grapple with it or name it, um, but I think he's been through some really bad experiences that maybe he behaves this reactionary way because he does not want to acknowledge how much harm came to him um, that he couldn't control and wasn't his fault, um, which is something I, that yeah. deeply resonates with me. Like, this is so yeah. uncool. Um, I think that I really yeah. believe he's grappling with something darker, and that sucks for him. It does suck. Yeah. Yeah, this is, like, I get I get the sense from him. Yeah, like, what you're saying, um, certainly some things have happened in his life. I'm sure he has demons, and I think that he has found it necessary to kind of like push the pain down, minimize it and move on and just like, you know, burn those bridges. Uh, and he, he's like, I did it. So why can't you all just do it? I, like any, he anybody who's like, yeah, right. Yeah. He's like, he's like that guy that you were yeah. at dinner with who brought up his abuse out of nowhere and said like, obviously it's not a big deal. Um, and he, he feels like he's dealt with it in a dignified, quiet, efficient manner. And so he's like, well, why can't you all do, why do you all have to be babies about it? I wasn't a baby about it. So like, that's sort of a lot of my empathy for Brad is like, I sort of see what the darkness represents and it is some odd yeah. Shit. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Here he ha Okay, he does make a note after this. Um, we can get off the sad thing, but he's talking about <laughs> us and uh, millennials. Unlike any previous generation, they had so many outlets to display whatever they wanted, thoughts, feelings, arts, art. It often went unfettered, unedited, instantly and globally everywhere. And it's like, ah, he points this out, but then doesn't draw the conclusion of how awful that must be to have your life relentlessly <laughs> documented 
and the expectation that you'll relentlessly document it. How difficult is it right. to like survive in this culture where you always have to be visible? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, his empathy is not extending that far. <laughs> uh, he hasn't thought about it, but he could think about yeah. it pretty easily. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely could. Like he, you know, he said he has said multiple times that like fame is fun for like the first year and then the rest of your life you're just trying not to humiliate yourself. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, you know what? That's also social media. <laughs> like, uh, like an entire generation is growing up like in the public eye and just like trying not to humiliate themselves. Yeah. And then he says some more stuff about generate like some more bad stuff that we don't need to think about because we know what it is. And then on page third one thirty seven, um, the paragraph that the bottom paragraph on this, uh, he says, mm -hmm. I never forget the hellish year when my college educated boyfriend looked for a job and could only find non-paying internships. He actually does uh, empathize with millennials and where we're coming from in this. Not very well, but like you can see in that sentence that like how deep that goes. Cause like it was hell for him, even though he's like rich and he could support his boyfriend. It's like he witnessed how demoralizing it was and how few options we have. Um, he just doesn't want to yeah. do anything with that information uh, that would make this book better to read. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has quite a take on Charlie Hebdo. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So I, the thing that jumps out at me the most is when two offended Islamist gunmen oh, yeah. burst into Charlie Hebdo's offices that January <laughs> and murdered 12 staff members while sh shouting, God is great and the prophet is avenged, people everywhere were shocked but perhaps not surprised. This was where we had been for a while. So by saying offended like that yeah. in italics, it feels like <laughs> he's re he's really like this. This is where this is where it gets you. This is where the this is where people telling me not to say <laughs> uh, not to say sexist things ends. It's, it's ter terrorism by Muslims, which, you know, we got a lot of terrorism by white guys here. So I don't know. Maybe we should keep telling Brett not to say things that are offensive. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Uh, but yeah it also the whole like this this oh spicy meatball fresh out of the oven uh on charlie Hebdo. <laughs> it does end with him advocating for a participation trophy for charlie Hebdo, not for being good journalism or anything but just for participating yeah and what the fuck brett i love him so much i like, <laughs> will not examine himself or anything he says sometimes and it's it's beautiful in its own way. Yeah. It's like he says everything. He says everything he thinks the moment he thinks it. And then he spends the rest of his life examining yeah. it. But it's already out there. Yeah, exactly what he said. <laughs> like, but I don't know. Put like a timer on your thoughts. Hey, save, save to drafts more often, I think. That'll get you somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Right, so, yeah, that's. And he talks about the furniture. Yeah, on 139 smart white person who happens to be so traumatized by something that you refer to yourself in conversation as a survivor victim, you probably should contact the National Center for Victims and ask them for help. Quite a sentence. I also love the idea of someone referring to themselves as a survivor victim. Oh, maybe I'm yeah. a survivor victim. A thing. I have never heard that phrase it's anywhere but phrase. in this book. It, it, it's <laughs> a lot. This is Brett's like, yeah. this is how in tune with millennials he is. Yeah. Oh my God. Also, I feel like 
first of all, I don't know if the National Center for Victims is anything. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real thing. You know what? It probably 50-50 chance. I don't think he looked it up. He could have accidentally said the right thing. <laughs> um, but you know what? If you're a person who's extremely traumatized by something and you refer to yourself in conversation, you identify yourself as having been traumatized, you should seek help. Yeah, well, like well, he's, well, he's just saying a truth. This is just a true thing. <laughs> like I love that he is he is advocating for therapy um always, which is something I deeply respect. He, he not he's being sarcastic though. Yeah. Yeah, but like this is yes, listener, please, if you're affected by things that happened like previously, if you're traumatized, please do seek help in therapy. It's healthy and good and yeah. you want to be your best self. Yeah, absolutely. But he's he's like, Oh, you're traumatized by your past. Why don't you go to therapy then? And it's a good idea, yeah, but I will. Yeah. Maybe you should too. He goes in and out and like there actually literally is that sentence uh, the guy I want to date with. If you're afflicted by these traumas that occurred years ago and this is so part of you years later, then you probably are still sick and in need of treatment. Yeah, that's true. Um and then the the, the guy that I want to date with it said the dumb thing and uh realized mm-hmm. it was dumb afterwards. And then also like Brett, you have talked a lot about that thing that happened when you wrote American Psycho. And it has been 30 years. Yeah. And like that also did like bolster the rest of your career after American Psycho to some degree. So like you're not the one to make this point if there is a point to be made here. It's definitely not you, because you did you are writing about American Psycho and how that felt bad now. Like in the yeah. same book where you say these things that aren't very smart or conclusive really. So yeah, I think yeah. that's all the notes I have on this chapter, which oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah, this book takes a lot yeah, out of you. I was eating ibuprofen like Skittles. Like Brett gave me a headache when I already had a headache because that Brett gave me. I was experiencing <laughs> like discomfort in my mind that I, I thought uh, in, impossible previously. All right. Oh my god. I I just there's one more doozy. There's one more doozy here that I would like to read. Uh, we we may. We maybe don't have to unpack it too much because I feel like it's ridiculous on its face, but he says, if you feel you're experiencing microaggressions when someone asks you where you are from or can you help me with my math or offers a God bless you after you sneeze or a drunken guy tries to grope you at a Christmas party or some douche purposefully brushes against you at a valet stand in order to cop a feel or someone merely insulted you or the candidate you voted for wasn't elected or someone correctly identifies you by your gender and you consider this a massive societal diss and it's triggering you and you need a safe space then you need to seek professional help it's just conflation that's a lot of conflation i think yeah honestly i rewrote my notes because like every other line was just me writing conflation Um, yeah a lot of what he does in this book and that's yeah definitely the clearest example of it like the most fun to read yeah he, so I've brought this up on a couple different episodes. He is always like, why are people so upset about getting groped? Getting groped isn't a big deal. And he's told at least one story on his podcast about when he was a teenager and a man groped him at a movie theater. And he was like, whatever, I just got up, moved to a different seat, watched the rest of the movie. Um, so that is like something that he brings up unprompted again and again. It's like being groped isn't an issue. Just forget about it. Um, so he brings that up here again. and then. He says, 
correctly identifies you by your gender, which I feel like would be transphobic if it was clearer. Yeah. But it's just like a nonsense statement. Well, like it's, it can also be read as trans positive um, because he is so unclear with it. That is like, very true. Trans people, I'm going to correctly identify you by your gender. Yeah, but then it's like, why would they be offended by being correctly identified by their gender? He does not know what he's saying, and he doesn't mean it. No. Like for sure. Yeah. I was gonna say he's. I was gonna say he's never met a trans person, but I guess he had Laura Jane Grace on the podcast. But I feel confident they never hung out again after that. Yeah, but also, what pronouns do you use for her? Oh, I don't remember pronouns, but I remember him dead naming her one thousand times. Oh, shit, that sucks. Okay, yeah, that sucks. Brett. Oh no, I remember. I remember he. He used he used female pronouns for her, but when he talked about her in the past, he used male pronouns. Okay, that can just be a dumb thing like, that he hasn't learned yet. Yeah. I believe that. Um, yeah. When, yeah. When she transitioned, I was like, "Wait, what do I use for like her independent record?" Which now is under Laura Jane Grace, Heartburns. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like that, yeah. Fair that enough. That's something you did have to learn at some point in the last seven years. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That is there is a learning curve with this stuff. He definitely wasn't like. He definitely, like, tried to be respectful with Laura Jane Grace, but also, like, didn't try hard enough. I think, yeah, I think that, like, it's sort of two different things. Like, he's saying a dumb thing here, but if you met a trans person who's like, hey, this is where I'm, I think he would, like, want to do the best. Like, yeah, I'm definitely, yeah. I definitely don't think that he's, like, a big transphobe or anything. I, but, I, you know, I am, like, very curious about what he means by this identifies you by your gender statement. Well, there, okay, there's this thing, and it's true. We can talk about that. On Twitter, like, people put, like, all their identity stuff in their bios. Um, mm-hmm. I only put the one, the they, them, like at, at great, you know, personal cost. And I am very cerbic about it. Like, you know, uh-huh. my pronouns are they, them, but I prefer you don't think of uh, or about me. Talk <laughs> about me. Uh, that's really the preferred thing. Um, yeah. Like I recently came out at my company as non-binary it was something that it didn't bother me when other people got my pronouns wrong or misgendered me because like i just my my uh dysphoria isn't external Um, it just me specifically personally don't feel any sort of way about that um and i I only came out because specifically i don't feel that way so people can get all the mistakes out so like there is Mm -hmm. a thing and then people do like sort of care about how other people see them and they do put a lot of stuff and like yeah sometimes too much like I don't, I don't know what gray sexuality means. And at this point, I think it's been too, too long for me to ask. You know? <laughs> yeah. I got to a Demi, Ace, those, I know what those are. I'm sure like gray spectrum, that's a thing. I just don't know what it is, but I, it's valid. But I think like this is something yeah. that people like come back to and rail against. And that's what he's trying to rail against here, I think. I mm, think that's what he's okay. trying for, to so, like sort of go for that Tumblr take them down but he doesn't do a very good job he does not and also yeah i fully believe like no controversy brett has been groped a lot in his life yeah like up until recently for sure um i i don't think he likes it yeah there also is this thing that he doesn't know about but we do is like there is um a sort of infighting on you know within the social justice wars um on on our side where um, we're having these hard conversations about sort of where we draw certain lines. Um, there are things like some people think that you should call anyone you don't know the gender of they. Some people think that you should try to identify people by the gender they present as because you don't want to trigger sort of dysphoria and like clocking someone. I personally, I hate clocking people. I'm like, oh, 
it's a different pathological how much I hate clocking people. But like, yeah, you don't want to like trigger dysphoria because they're like, oh, I'm not presenting the thing that uh, I wanted to present. And like, there's not a right answer for that because it's different for every person. Like these are the conversations Brett is not aware of that we are having. Yeah. And um, other people who absolutely are not Brett uh, maybe, you know, have a better place to talk about it. But it is something I find interesting about that thought he had that was pretty bad. Back in history class, did you ever take a step back from that textbook you were reading and just think to yourself, man, these people are very dumb. Hi, my name is Eric McAdams and I have a podcast for you. It's called Big Time Whoopsies, and every other Wednesday on the Major Cast Network, I tell a guest, and you the listener, a story from history involving massive incompetence. Big Time Whoopsies, people are dumb, and history can prove it. Okay, cool. So, going back to post I think we've covered a lot of stuff that I'd want to talk about. My okay. first note is, here we go! Um, <laughs> okay, I have a note that just says 80. So that's page 80. And then it says okay. Brett. That's the whole note. <laughs> Great. Okay. okay. What was wrong about looking at and objectifying beautiful women or men? What's wrong about this gender-based instinct to stare and covet? Why shouldn't this be made more easily available to horny boys? And what was wrong with the idea of the male gaze? Leaving aside everything we know now about toxic masculinity, whatever that is. <laughs> and then the fun one, my male friends often wondered, who is empowered here? It's certainly not me. I believe that, Brett. I believe your male friends wondered that. <laughs> I love him. I love that he's like leaving aside everything we now we now know about toxic masculinity. I don't so know. it's like he, he starts to be like it starts to feel like he's like framing this. It, like okay, yeah, you got to look at it in context. But then he's like, also that's bullshit. Okay. <laughs> so the way I want to do it in this reverse order is, I think this was before we started recording. I told you, like, I think that, like, this could have been, if he reversed these chapters, he could have made a really good book, but he didn't. He did the one where I went insane, then he did the one where he went insane, and, um, yeah, backwards, I think he would have come to much better conclusions. Like, I think it was fully in him. Okay, so what do you mean by that? What do you think would, what, what do you think would be changed if he, if you reverse the order of these? Well, if he whines about millennials first, then goes into making an actual great point, he'll forget about the fact that he is whining about millennials. That's how brains look. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, he would have forgot what he was yelling at, and then he would have been making the great points, and he would have been like, follow up on these great points, I guess. And he would have come to different conclusions. He just did them backwards, so he didn't get to do that. He's like, oh, like he wrote this very good chapter, and he's like, fuck, I forgot to whine about my boyfriend. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the one. This is post sex, 77 to 110, where he talks about some really important points, and you point out that like he's really good at identifying sort of like things from a gay male perspective um, and doesn't sort of give room for other perspectives. Um, but yeah, he's talking about like, uh, what's the, the imitation game? And um, yeah, he says turning, well, in many respects, the victim of his times never really considered himself a victim. And this is where I'm gonna be drawing some conclusions that Brad doesn't draw. And I think that's okay. Cause I, cause I say it's okay. And I'm alone on the podcast, not anyone listening. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, let's see. So he's talking about that, and he says, Turing is a genuine weirdo who often, knowingly or unknowingly, victimized himself, yet the movie's victim narrative makes this his divining characteristic. Um, and then later he says, And yet the imitation game has at center a brilliant and intellectually sophisticated gay man, something that's rare to non existent in current cinema anyway. 
That's true, Brett. Yeah. That's true. Brett made a, Brett made a good point. Hey, Brett. All right. Yeah. He, we can work with this. going to kill me by unmaking this great point over the course of the rest of the book. But we already <laughs> got over the big part of it. That, yeah. Oh, boy. So, yeah. And then he talks about uh, the movies Weekend and uh, Moonlight together. And um, right. he makes some really great points. So he's talking about, let's see. Yeah, talking about Weekend. He loved it so much. Sorry. Um, Wait, what's what's Weekend? It's a movie about two gay men who like meet on a train platform. And I get, and it just, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a movie where two guys are gay capitalists and they do hijinks. Um, <laughs> and sort of, it, he'll pose it more in, uh, in relation to Moonlight, which he's making some good points here and it fucks me up. It's on 89. This mm-hmm. is where he's comparing the two. Um, or actually 88, he says. He's comparing, here he's comparing King Cobra to Moonlight. Okay, King Cobra. Right. Okay. 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 Sorry. Yeah. King Cobra. He talks about King Cobra is like the heist movie. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I got those two confused. But he also talks about yeah, weekend we at some other before, point. and he was talking about how it's cute. I think he liked Tangerine the movie. Um, I think aesthetically. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that yet, but I want to. I don't remember anything about it, but I really enjoyed it. Like it, it made me happy. Okay. There was <laughs> but I feel like I don't know. Maybe I arrived at some really great conclusions because I was like, oh, this is like. I, I feel better than when I started it. I think <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think that gets sort of to the rub of what he's doing when he talks about King Cobra, My Bad, and Moonlight. Where, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he's talking about Moonlight, and he's uh, saying, you know, Mo- Moonlight was directed by a straight man. King Cobra was directed by a gay man. Um, and then Moonlight, he's making some points. He doesn't make some points. They all supplement in, but uh, he says here in 89, Moonlight is overly invested in Chiron's pain. Is that how you pronounce it? I haven't seen Moonlight. I think it was Chiron. Chiron. Overly invested in Chiron's pain because without it, the movie wouldn't exist. This is a victim narrative. That's true. Uh, which doesn't say mm-hmm. that people like Chiron or the insecurity of black hypermasculinity, not to mention the enormous fragility of black life in general, don't exist. Merely that the narratives tend to hit the same ideology. This is a great point. And he uses the words correctly that he might mm-hmm. use. Like, I don't think this is an editor's note. I think he actually is sensitive to this thing, even though he otherwise would not admit it. Yeah, that's true. And it is like the other um it's like another thing where he he hits on the good point part like really fast. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, okay, you like you're saying this is kind of like an aside, but it's like, yeah, no, dig more into that. But you're like, okay, yes, um <laughs> yes, black life is extremely fragile. But anyway, yeah, and, and moving on to something else. He's coming up this from this place where he just wants to yell at his rich white friends for something that it does suck that they do, which is like infantilize um you know, black men, queer people, like they, they make them lesser and they enjoy watching their trauma in a certain way that doesn't have to be sort of like scintillating. Is that a word? Yeah, that's a word. Like they, they, they don't have to be explicitly horny. Like, oh man, I love mm-hmm. watching black people and queer people suffer. But like, that is what people are looking for. They're like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. this is an Oscar of the movie because uh, it made me sad about something and I don't have to think about it anymore after this. Right, right. That is a real it's, thing like sympath- it's like sympathy porn, yeah, sadness sympathy porn. porn. Yeah. You be getting off, but like you are enjoying this um, for a reason that's fucked up. And um, yeah. because you aren't like worried about the actual root of the problem. And like he's calling that out. He's just doing it bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do want to point out. Yeah, I wrote this down. Um, there's a comedian, Guy Branham, who is a large mm-hmm. gay man and he went to law school and grew up on a farm. 
um, and is an expert in Canadian politics uh, who talks about everything Brett will talk about in this chapter much better with better nuance um, because he is he's smart and he like realizes that everything is inherently political and he's not afraid to dig into those things that make him or other people uncomfortable. Um, so right. you can read this chapter of Brett's great book, which I think genuinely is good. Like this one chapter, so sucks. Um, but okay. but like I think well, the first half of it's maybe good. He is getting at something <laughs> here. You can do that, or you can just go listen to Guy Bram's album Effable, or read his book My Life Is a Goddess, or just follow him on Twitter. He's really smart and knows what he's talking about and has level of expertise that Brett does not because he does not want to think about these things more than he has to. Yeah, I like Gabe Renham a lot. And he is as much as as much as Brett is intellectually lazy, <laughs> Guy Branham is intellectually exhausting. Rigorous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Are you friends with him? Are you friends with him yet? Am I friends with Guy Branham? No. Okay. You should you should reach out because I think he'd love you. Oh, okay, I will. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, he talks about how he likes King Cobra better because it's gay men as superficial capitalists. And he does hit on something which in, it seemed like more progressive to him uh, because it kind of is because in King Cobra, uh, gay guys are just allowed to be like idiots who do bad stuff and yeah. they're also gay. And yeah. like, yeah, that would be really great, Brett. You're making a good ass point. He talked about <laughs> your wide approval in Moonlight was supposed to make you feel virtuous. And while it's nice to, be, to feel virtuous, it's worth considering whether feeling virtuous and being virtuous are actually the same thing. Yeah, Brett, you're doing good yeah. here. I can't wait to see how you yeah, assemble he... this. <laughs> yeah, so here we go. And I'm going to do Galaxy Brett. I'm going to go Galaxy Brain about this. Yeah, this is where I'm about to go Galaxy Brain because he talks about Fruitvale Station, the 2013 movie. Um, mm -hmm. And he talks about Pete Duplass, you know, the guy from The League on FX, that guy. Mm -hmm. Wait, is his name really Pete? No, it's Mark Duplass. My bad. Right. Feet on the league. I love. I loved the league for a time. Um, but yeah, he talks about Fruitvale Station and arguing about Mark Duplass with that. Uh, Brad says the word sentimental or earnestness. Snuff movie about fate. Kind of true. Uh, I mean, there is like a dead dog scene that telegraphs the ending of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. I saw it and I cried because like it sucks and that took place in Oakland. Like that's where I live now. Like I've been here for nine years. Like that's my home. Oscar Grant happened while I was here. Like there were riots, and it's unfair, and things haven't changed. Um, that really sucks. But yeah, like yeah. he talks about it in these terms that make me sentimental, earnestness, snuff movie about fate. S specifically, I think Brett is lying about not liking this movie, and mm -hmm. thus is lying. Like his whole aesthetics versus ideology thing is off, because yeah. I think that Brett Snell saw this movie and it made him sad, and he hated that because it was <laughs> telegraphed. And he fell for it anyways. And he had to like steal his heart against admitting that like this movie made him sad. And he's like, nah, I didn't like the, and he just looked around the room and he's like, aesthetics. <laughs> I love this conspiracy theory so yeah, much. Like, yeah, shit. <laughs> I love it. Yes. I'm totally on board. I'm totally sold. Yes. <laughs> like, talk about sex versus ideology. You've talked about like, it doesn't make any sense. That's not two things that aren't together. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even goes back and forth. And he's like, oh yeah, like Moonlight, the aesthetics were pretty good. And it's just like he doesn't know how to separate the point he is making from the dumb point he wants to make, like the narrative that he wants to control. 
And it yeah. goes very badly for him. So like he does boff his point, but he has a good point underneath it that we can conclude better stuff from. And he definitely <laughs> was sad of at, at Fruitvale Station. It made him sad. And he invented a whole dumb thing over it because he didn't want to admit that. And I love that about him. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, I feel like sometimes he starts from his brand and works backwards. Yeah. Like he's like, what would the Brett Easton Ellis persona like? And then he just has to like build a justification. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of it. I think his mouth just like opens and something falls out. And he's like, how was this correct? <laughs> um yeah okay so he does talk about like vict victimhood and like this sort of stuff how we frame things that way then he fucks it up because he starts talking about how the aesthetics of weekend were stronger okay he isn't talking about king cobra that's not all my fault um but yeah so the the big uh the glaring point here like the thing we can't talk around is brett's when brett has an opinion about stuff it's a uh, like noticeable because it is in a racist or sexist direction. <laughs> yeah. Yes. V extremely, <laughs> extremely true. Um, and it feels like, it feels like he, he sometimes uses his gayness as like a shield, <laughs> uh, which I think some, some gay men with bad opinions do. Yeah, he does do that sometimes. Sort of how Todd talks about uh, what millennials are like and how we all had helicopter parents. Mm. Um, but I also think that like this is something that really makes him mad because the re I think the reason a lot of the times he's doing something that is like on its face racism and like it definitely like he should examine this. This is the thing he's fucking up. He hasn't noticed that he's doing it, but it does come off as racist because he's only examining these things and not talking about certain other things. But like when he said the thing about Catherine Bigelow, like when he said the thing about Moonlight not being that strong, like what he's saying is like, this is just your like torture porn. This is like you patting yourself on the back and being condescending about people who should be able to make whatever they want and it shouldn't be a big deal. And we shouldn't like it just because you have this condescending idea of like what this identity should be and you will are deigned to give them a modicum of power. I think that's what he wants to say. And people are like, hey, Brett, you only called out uh, Black Panther, Fruitvale Station, and Moonlight. You want to talk about that? And he's like, you don't understand what I'm saying. And I think we don't, but like, that's on him. Yeah. Pick some movies by white people. But I think when he sees a movie that's bad by a white person, he's just like, oh, I don't like that. And right. I, yeah. I think he has this like sort of, he, he actually does take offense to minority people from minority background he does take offense at like people being condescended to and he doesn't know how to vocalize yeah. that and then he ends up like doing the worst but like i think he doesn't feel afraid of being called racist or sexist uh, because yeah. like truly it's not what he means to do it's just because of the way he does it um yeah i don't know it's, it's interesting and then now he wants to make it interesting he wants to imply his uh whiteness is an ideological error and i think he talks so much and so bad for the next couple of pages, honestly. And I think it's just, <laughs> he's trying to point out that he's not racist. He's not the one to do that. I'm the one to do that. And like, also, I, I think I did write a note here that is like, yes, I believe Brett East Nels is racist. He's an American and he's a white man. That's the right. way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to read anything more sinister into it. He is racist because he lives in the culture we do. Me also racist. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I hate yeah. it. I'm yeah. it, but it's there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that's important. Like, given my defense of what Brett Brett Snell might think, 
I think it's important to state like, yes, we're definitely, this is racism happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think he probably, uh, like a lot of people is like, you know, racist, racism has to come from a place of like active, active, like hate. And it can't just be like the lazy byproduct of like not, Examine, not examining yeah. your, yourself. Just, yeah. So definitely at this point, it's become uh, about ideology and how we have to all be perfect. Uh, it's on page 90, 92 at the top. Um, okay. everyone has to be the same and have the same reactions to any given work of art or movement or idea. And if you refuse to join the course of approval, you will be tagged to racist or misogynist. This is what happens to a culture when it no longer cares about art. Brett, that's insane. I shouldn't say insane working on that language, but Brett, Brett. That's a hard, that's a hard one to replace. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, Brett, you did, this is buckwild what you said. Like you did not, all the sentences you just wrote, they did not go up into like they didn't go into this conclusion that he drew and like I don't, yeah. I don't think he believes what he's writing one bit I think he's just writing and he did not revisit it because it was bad and he didn't want to look at it again but he didn't want to publish it <laughs> yeah or, yeah I'm going into it. totally I honestly I totally like this is such a dumb point but I also like if I have to if I'm gonna give Brett his due and say I can I can see where he's coming from when I can. I like a little bit experienced sort of what he's talking about when I saw Black Panther and I like I was like, meh. <laughs> and like, but like everyone everyone was talking about how great it was. And in particular, like it seemed like it was really important to a lot of black people. So I was like, I am not gonna tell anybody that I didn't like this movie. I'm just gonna keep it to myself. And I did keep it to myself, and then time passed there was a backswing against it and it seems like it's less important to people now and now i can be like that movie is like just whatever i didn't i didn't care for it well you know what um, else though like every marvel movie besides thor ragnarok is meh right yeah but it did feel i mean like if like it felt to me like if if i jumped out and was like hey that movie sucked yeah. like like it would be it It'd be like, well, yeah, of course you think it sucked, white lady. But I was also like, that's probably fair. Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't need to like jump out and be like, hey, listen to my opinion. So this is a, a um, real thing he's talking about, and like, it was because like, sort of the larger culture is like, ah, we gave black people a movie, and now we must celebrate it and not talk about it in a nuanced way. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Brett is making that point here, like a lot and pretty well, considering I did write later on, like, uh, Brett. Brett's tired. He made a he made a good point for nine pages, and now he's exhausted and he's, like <laughs> trying to pretend it didn't happen. But like he is making that yeah. point, like it's condescending to like not bring up the merits of something just because it represents something that's underrepresented. Um, yeah. But like that's sort of where we're at. We don't have like you know a proportional amount of superhero movies being about black people and black countries i do i haven't seen black panther i've only seen thor ragnarok honestly of the marvel movies i think it's like guardians of the galaxy one also um but yeah like uh i think that black panther is really great um culturally because it did give uh us the word colonizer as like a popular mm. term and i really love that <laughs> Yeah, I totally. I don't know. I want Brett to talk about Get Out because, like, Get Out is pretty good. And I think he would have, like, a much better way of talking about that. Yeah. He, when Get Out first came out, 
like bef before it like really blew up like he saw it like early in its release and he seemed to like it a lot and then like six months later like everyone's talking about how great it is how revolutionary it is and he's like oh great uh ideology beats aesthetics once again yeah. it's just like he just couldn't stomach the fact that people were like this movie might be good for society well, <laughs> and he just started hating it yeah it's just that like exactly that's like exactly my point is that like it is people did like it a lot because it was like oh this is good for society when it was also a really great movie it was just really good and like there's stuff like uh from from the main character stuffing cotton into his ears like literally picking cotton to like undo his brainwashing like jordan peele did a fantastic job with that and like brett hates that people didn't appreciate like how good the movie was and they're just like ah this is good representation so like i get where it's coming from on circling back on that one God, that was so, and also Lakeith Stanfield was in that, and he's the most beautiful man I've ever seen. If I look at his he's face, beautiful. I will start crying because he always is going to cry a little bit. Oh, yeah, I do love Lakeith like, Stanfield. You can't hit me with a picture of Lakeith Stanfield. I will start like just, <laughs> so pretty. I can't handle it. Oh my god. Oh man, yeah, I was with a boyfriend when I saw that movie, and I did like pull on his arm. I'm like, who's that beautiful man? <laughs> yeah just good times get out was great and like brett wants to talk about things that he's not competent to talk about because he doesn't know what like he doesn't know how to say what he wants to say and be heard so that's exhausting about him <laughs> truly <laughs> yeah okay so he does talk more about uh moonlight he talks about sort of the suffering that white audiences like uh he says the movie asks us to endure Sharon's pain without offering us much of anything else. That's true. Yeah. And it is like a pretty boring movie. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the movie has no little interest in making him a strong character. Moonlight is curiously fascinated with him as a chaste, beautiful, sad eyed angel. This chasteness reveals a heterosensibility at work. Yeah. Brett's hitting on something that, again, Guy yeah. does much better a lot. And then he talks about sure. how Moonlight didn't have any sexual heat. Which is kind of funny, cause like, okay, like, not it not being horny, like, isn't the only reason you're upset, but you do want to talk about <laughs> it. Um, and then yeah, he says that uh, it sidesteps scenes by overstylizing them for fear they might be too upsetting for an audience. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, the moonlight yeah. makes it easier for certain straight and black audiences to respond to it by removing actual gay sex from the equation. And that's a really good point, like. The straight audience is uncomfortable with gay sex and wants it to be removed, but we would still want to pat ourselves on the back for, you know, being progressive. And like, I, I get it. Like, he's made, oh God, he makes a good point. Yeah. Uh, at the end, on page 95, the end of the sentence, he's talking about it, he's making a good point. It's wild that this is happening. But yeah, only, let's see. He's talking about the characters and I. Uh, after two viewings, still makes no dramatic sense. Only that the movie wants to show Chiron getting the shit beat out of him and therefore continues victim narrative, where it is a little bit where he starts going off the rails. Because, like, it does, mm -hmm. it is a victim narrative written by a straight man. And there's stuff that Brett's talking about, other people can talk about. Uh, mm -hmm. But, like, then he gets the victim narrative and he's like, ah, ah, I'm a dark fact somehow. <laughs> and that's where I think he makes his mistake. Um, yeah. yeah. And then he talks about, like, wouldn't it be a more progressive? view if uh, Chiron had to be his old victim myself. If this big 
Big and beautiful black guy by then could have easily found physical intimacy and perhaps affection and maybe even love on the down low. Maybe dissatisfied or unhappy, but that would have constituted a dramatic progression and an ideological triumph. That's true. Also, I love that you're like this big, beautiful black man. That's very sweet, Brett. <laughs> I love it. I love the way you said that. <laughs> yeah, he says, uh, if the boys had given each other blowjobs, I doubt the movie would have been as wildly acclaimed by the entertainment press or won the Academy Award for Best Picture. I believe that's true also. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, the grown-up Chiron, when on the down low, be satisfying his desires is also a literary fantasy. Yeah, because straight people don't want to think about the realities of gayness. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, when asked about sex, Barry Jenkins, the straight director, says that Chir- what Chiron needs is affection, not sex. And Brad, this is page 96, has a good point. He says that. Well, so the question becomes, can't he have both? Aren't the two intertwined? Jenkins' answer is a straight man's answer, not a gay man's answer, and that's why the movie feels lopsided. Damn, Brett, you held together a good point about Moonlight. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really I'm he, happy for you. Credit where credit is due. Yeah, he did it. My boy did it. So that's where I was losing my mind, because I, I, before this, I was like, oh, great, Brett's going to justify a bad thing he has. Then it's just, uh, like, this is, yeah, this is the surprise to me, is, like, he did already have the vocabulary to, like, say some things that were really smart and poignant. Um, yeah. Maybe other people real- realized them before, but like he is writing this in a book and I give him credit. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, it's like when he has moments like that, it just makes the moments where he fails so much more inexcusable because it's like, you are capable of this. You just don't bother most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, that's what people told me all throughout high school. They're <laughs> for Liz. You're smart, but you don't do any work. Uh-huh. So I get it. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about like sort of re- is replacing the thug with the oversensitive and victimized man boy a sign of progress. And then he says fake woke corporate culture, uh, liberal Hollywood's fake woke corporate culture specifically. Um, which mm-hmm. I, I love that because he is saying the sassy thing, but this time he is saying it correctly. Yeah. And the call out <laughs> is targeted correctly. And I love, I, I'm so happy for him. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Sharon's presented as being a squeamish about gay sex as a straight man in the audience. Moonlight is the kind of story that needs to be told, yet the overprotective reaction to it, as the Volta piece highlighted, could, of course, be seen as condescending as well. I think this is when he's done making a good point. Have to turn the page, find out. Oh, no, still making a good point for a little bit. Sorry, I'm just so scared. Every page I turn is like, is this when it goes downhill? Because, <laughs> like, there definitely is a point in here where I lost my mind and I don't remember exactly what ha- Okay, now I remember what happened. All right. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. This is page 97 that turns to 98. He's talking about Shonda Rhimes and how, like, she she's asked, or, yeah, his question why she had so much gay sex in her shows. And she's like, um, it's not gay sex, it's just sex. And he's like, well, when I go search for porn, I do type in gay sex. So, like, <laughs> you know, labeling some, like, there shouldn't be a fear of labeling something as being different um, because, you know, saying it's different won't, won't be inclusive enough. Uh it's mm-hmm. a nice progressive idea in reality. Serves no purpose whatsoever. I think he's half on on the ball with that. Like pointing out the differences between people is like a good thing to do when there is still inequality. Yeah, I don't. I gotta say that's a like that. That was one of his takes that I didn't really have a. I didn't really have an opinion on. <laughs> and maybe it was just because I got like beat down by the book by this point. But I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I have no idea if I agree or not. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, God. I mean, okay, so his point here, I have a bunch more stuff, but the point is that, like, 
He liked King Cobra because no one's tortured about being gay. This is a quote from 99. No one's tortured about being gay. No one gets bullied. No one is ashamed. No one has tearfully passionate coming out scenes, and there's no gay stuff here at all. Yeah, it sounds dope, Brett. I like what you're here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. I, I haven't seen King Cobra, but like, it sounds great. I, yeah. He made me I want to watch. I want to watch King Cobra. I just didn't have Sounds amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, he's just making the same. He does make good points. Uh, there's one gay man's magical elf. Again, just listen to Guy Branham, read his book, anything there. Uh, page 102, he talks about the GLAAD Awards. Uh, yeah, that he, he does. From. And yeah. That's where he starts spinning into a bad point, but he does have one line. It's the bottom of the paragraph on page 103. I do want to say this one sentence because it's very good. Certainly, in the spring of 2013, I hadn't fucked up as many gay lives as Bill Clinton had. Oh, my God, yes. I love that moment. This this part (laughs) is, like, just peak Brett being fucking sassy. This is him telling you like it is. This is the book you wanted. Yes, it is. Yes. I want a whole book of him just talking shit about the Clintons. Yeah, like, oh, my God, that one (laughs) sentence. I just, I needed to say it on air. It needed to be immortalized. It's so good. Yeah, that's like one of the few great moments of this book. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly, in that moment, I was like, oh, maybe we're going to turn this thing around, but we didn't. Yeah, no, that's where we we're going up the right hill, but here's where we start going downhill about. Oh, okay, yeah. So at the end of that paragraph, around the next page, it ends uh, with the sentence, Where the hell were we? Gay elementary school? With, remind me of Zoolander. <laughs> Is this an elementary school for gays? <laughs> uh, I and then this is I think should have been the name of this book. I apologize mm-hmm. to my agent for any embarrassment this might have caused her. And then started tweeting. <laughs> I, I apologize and then started tweeting the Brett Eastnell story. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Ugh. So yeah. Oh man, I feel like we haven't talked about what he's saying about millennials and PC culture because it's not interesting and it's all wrong. Yeah, like, and he's just saying the same thing that everybody says about yeah, millennials. Yeah, like, like five years yeah. ago. Brett, yeah, just, go on to Reddit. Like, go go at the tw- go look at the 2014 archives. You'll have an idea of what he's saying. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he says some good. I don't know. No, this is where he really spins out of it. He's talking about PC culture preaching tolerance, uh, and then mm-hmm. again, something specifically Guy Branham has talked about uh, because he's like a bigger man. Um, and he, he's called out like Glad and Out Magazine, the advocate specifically for like only featuring like really beautiful twinks. And Brett says like, yeah. um, he's talking about the magical gay elf uh, as mm-hmm. an absurdly high-minded and cutesy role model, hopefully a victim with great pecs. Uh, <laughs> and often applauded the, uh, Glad had often applauded the stereotypes we saw paraded around in embarrassing queer movies and degrading retro sitcoms as positive simply because they were um, gay. <laughs> And, like, yeah, he's talking about something that only him and Guy Branham, to my knowledge, have really talked about, which is, like, and also, it's funny, because I thought we did give Sean Penn an Oscar for this one, um, but there's a difference between, like, sort of outside, uh, sort of the way outsiders see gay people, and then sort of infighting within the culture that uh, we talked about earlier with millennials and, like, you know, uh, social justice wars, but but there is a difference that he doesn't seem to recognize here between, like, the outside, yeah, how, how the gay corporations uh, wants to view itself versus, you know, what that means for gay men on an individual level, like, it, and, you know, how, how unfair it is when 
oh man, I feel like I, I'm not making a coherent sentence here. But like he does, <laughs> he does that one. Like it sucks when gay men have to fall in line and like they're so pressured to do that when they're ready smellless and they don't like falling into any line. But it's also like really condescending and in many ways misrepresents, you know, the kind of person he is uh, in favor of like embracing the stereotype and finding safety in it. I don't know, he, he does have a good point, but then he goes all up and down on PC culture and it exhausts me. Oh, uh, is Lenny there? Yeah. Can you ask him real quick? Um, so Alec Baldwin kissed Russell Brand on the mouth. Can I get Lenny's opinion on that? Okay. Hey, Lenny. Um, Liz wants to know your opinion okay. on um, Russell Brand kissing Alec Baldwin on the mouth. In that was in that rock opera, right? What's it called? Rock, rock of Ages. Do you have a, Do you have an opinion on that? that? Lenny never saw that movie. But, but do you just want to know the idea of uh, Alec Baldwin just, kissing Russell Brand on the mouth? How do we feel about that? Okay, just the idea of Alec Baldwin <laughs> kissing Russell Brand on the mouth. How do you feel about that? Would you like to get on the mic for your response? Um, I think that would probably be pretty hot. I feel like when I think about like the real Alec Baldwin. That like that's not hot, but since he usually plays like Jack Donaghy types, like yeah, I would want to see that as Russell Brand. Okay, I I thought that okay. was correct. Thank you for coming in. I just want to make sure my my heart was true and pointing in the right direction. Also, <laughs> on a related note, if you watch the most recent season of Ballers, Russell Brand is very hot, <laughs> and it's very homoerotic. Did you hear that? Yeah. All right, hot tip. Thank you, Lenny. I like this learning experience we're all having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he talked about Fifty Shades of Grey, and you remember that like time and oh, glitter. God, yeah. God yes. When he was when he was working so hard to try to get the job writing Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. And then he didn't get it, and that was like the most. I felt like that was the most vulnerable I ever saw him. Was when he was like, I didn't, I didn't get it. They gave it to someone else. Like he seemed heartbroken. He was, and then he was like, "Here's the thing," because he does undo his own ass point by being like, "Matt Bomer shouldn't be Christian gay." If he gets horny, it'll set back gay rights. <laughs> like, he does say that somewhere in here. That is the point he makes. And it's like, oh, no. no, you're just mad about not getting Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. You separate <laughs> your feelings from like the reality. That's just oh, right. both things. And and then I truly, I really, I really do wish he'd gotten Fifty Shades of Grey though. I bet crazy. that movie would have been fucking hot. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone would have loved that. Yeah. It's just a uh, poor Brett. So yeah, 108 to 109, uh, because of these tweets and a few similar comments, I've been accused of being a self-loathing loathing gay man, and I might be a little self-loathing at times, but it's not because I'm gay. It's like, thank you, Brett. We did want confirmation <laughs> that you do dislike yourself a lot, but it's not because you're gay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just... I also love that he says, not an unattractive quality, by the way. Like, he's in favor of self-loathing. <laughs> I mean, I agree. <laughs> Fair enough. A little bit will do you good. Yeah. I mean, self loathing, I feel. <laughs> I feel bad it's Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> certainly off putting when you meet somebody who seems to have no self loathing. So, yeah. And then at the, at the bottom of 109, there's just a great sentence. I'll read the sentence around it. But I did want to highlight this great sentence. Uh, uh -huh. This is a revised version of gay self victimization, which supposedly is enlightened and ennobled. It doesn't really connect with any genuine ideas about liberalism and freedom. As a writer, I have to believe in free speech no matter what. Narrator, he didn't. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, like that's as simple as true as it gets. No, Brett, not you. Not nope. you. You're not the one who has to believe in free speech no matter what. Definitely not. You lied there, and I'm calling you out. <laughs> oh, God, sometimes sometimes he is just so dumb. He just, he's a lot. And then, yeah, this ends. Okay, he says Adam Driver on Girls is a sexist man on television. That's incorrect. <laughs> like, I know it's an opinion, but it's wrong. <laughs> I mean, Adam, I feel like Adam Driver is the only... It was like the only dude I can remember seeing on television in recent years, like doing BDSM stuff. <laughs> so, um, if that's Brett's uh, number one, uh, number one um, need to find a man sexy, as it is for me, <laughs> I get it. Okay, I get it. <laughs> Fine. Oh my god, I'm Driver and his especially long face. I'm I'm into Adam Driver. I am. Some people are, and that's okay. Okay. His face is like, I don't love the face, but I'll accept the face. I'll, I'll walk back <laughs> what I said, because it, it is valid to believe that. The free speech <laughs> thing, though. I was right on the free speech thing. But yeah, then <laughs> he talks about people saying homophobic things at him via Twitter. And mm-hmm. then he shrugs up and doesn't make a federal case out of it or call the local chapter of GLAD. Well, they did disinvite him from the dinner, so they probably won't be very helpful. <laughs> also, he did put it in his book that I have in front of yeah. me that was printed and published and I bought it. So he did kind of make a, a deal of it. It's just, I think he's not grappling with how he feels about things and sort of pain that he feels. And it's to the detriment yeah. of everyone. Yeah. He definitely wants to be somebody who like doesn't get his feelings hurt. <laughs> doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, and he's like committed to committed to even telling himself that he is that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's so tiring. Oh, at this point, I was I had gotten tired of writing notes, so I was just putting different colored flags for when Brett was making a good point versus when he was babbling bullshit. And I ran out of the bullshit flags. Everything <laughs> that happened. Um, in that in that essay that I keep mentioning, um, by and I still can't remember her name, Anna, Anna something. Um, she Anna Leskowitz. She was like, my heart sank. 80% of the way through the book when I started a chapter called tweeting. The entire book was about tweeting. What more could there be to say on the subject? <laughs> Which is truly fair. <laughs> um, so I don't have, uh, since we've already gone pretty long and I don't, I don't have a ton to say about this section. So if you have a, like a big, main point or two you want to hit on let's go for it but i don't feel a need to dig too deep into this because i found this chapter like pretty mindlessly yeah. pink 180 oh, 182 page 182 this is gonna be a great sentence i feel like okay okay i also kept wondering throughout that week in the summer of 2016 what if all i wanted to do is bang nick jonas a question still nice and maybe <laughs> a 1500 word ode talking about his chest and his ass and his dumb sexy face and the fact i didn't really like his music would that have been just on Nick? Or what if a woman wanted to write about how she really hated Drake's music but found him so physically hot and desirable that she was listening for him anyways? Brett, you just pitched two great articles that I want to read now. Oh my God, I so I really badly want to read Brett's horny article about yeah, Nick Jonas. That's a great article, right? Please, please yeah. do it. That's like the most amazing. That should have been the whole book. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> this is so... But also, I feel like... <laughs> um, 
uh, setting everything else aside, like, yeah, if he wrote an article about how Nick Jonas has a stupid but sexy face and he doesn't like his music, yeah, that would be a diss on Nick Jonas. <laughs> that's not, that's not like, it would be great. I would love it. I'm just saying it's like, it would be clearly insulting. Yeah, he doesn't understand, like, Brett doesn't understand that we love him and we love him for the dumb shade does and it can be bad and we can still love it or not great. It's not bad. But like it is a diss on Nick Jonas and I want to read it and everyone wants to read it. This is a great piece. Please write it, Brett. Please write the piece about you wanting to bang Nick Jonas. Maybe it'll happen. I want he he says that people he did an article on Quentin Tarantino and then mm -hmm. uh Quentin Tarantino said said some things. This is page 188. He made two statements about women and women of color, Ava Duvarney, Selma, blah blah blah. And then uh he says that the internet exploded, and a day later, there had been hundreds, if not thousands, of complaints worldwide that Tarantino was an outrageous sexist and uninhibited racist for making those two statements. And I wasn't far behind for endorsing him and for writing the profile. Whatever statements he made, that is not why people, that's not why people think Quentin Tarantino is racist or sexist. It's all the racism <laughs> and sexism he does. <laughs> yeah, and then, oh, I want to talk about Kanye. Is that a good way to finish up? Oh, yeah, let's finish up with Kanye. I just... Brett met Kanye West in 2013 and fell in love so hard that he started a whole podcast about it. And he about <laughs> this book talking about how much he loves Kanye. Yeah, he does. Uh, and truly, like, I'm, I'm just so glad that Brett and Kanye like met and get along and seem to be sort of sort of friends. Like, I'm I'm so happy because they seem like a match made in heaven. I'm really genuinely glad they have each and other. They're so happy with each other. Like it's the cutest thing. Um, and yet, like he sort of tries to summarize his point of like PC culture, millennials, and liberalism is like people didn't like that this black man was like wore his MAGA hat and whatever. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, but it, it's interesting because like Kanye West is really smart and funny and cool. This was like, he was doing something not artfully that I think Brett gets in trouble for a lot. Um, I think that really resonated with Brett and he wanted to like talk about how Kanye is like this. Kanye is a genius. Um, there's actually, when he started the podcast, uh, he interviewed Kanye, I think on the first three episodes. And there's this mm -hmm. moment that I still think about, I think it was 2013. I still think about at least once a week where Kanye is like, yeah, I'm a genius and like, you know, when you're going through an airport and they have you put down your occupation, I would write like musical genius, except for two things. Um, one, that would take a lot of time to write out every time. Two, sometimes I forget how to spell genius. <laughs> That's funny. And I'm, I'm glad Kanye exists in Brett's world and Brett exists in Kanye's world. I think they're going to continue to sort of make a messy thing of things, you know, as time goes on, but yeah, just happy they're there. Yeah. So with that, are we ready to rate this bad boy? Yes. Cool. So uh, I like to rate the book on a scale of one to five instead of stars. One to five. Some things from the book can be whatever you want. Um, and if you if you wouldn't mind giving a little bit of a kind of summary of your feelings, why you give that rating, uh, that would be delightful. Okay. So would you like to give your rating first or... Would you like me to start? Um, I can do my rating. All uh, right. I think that Brett had the beginnings of two great books I would like to read in here. Um, surrounded by just a lot of garbage, 
that maybe could have been fun if applied elsewhere. Um, so I think I'll give each of those books one out of five Kanye's. For a total of two out of five Kanye's. I love it. Um, I think that for the most part, this book is a total waste of time. Uh, I think I, I, I think even the the points that he makes that are good have been made better elsewhere. There's not a lot of Brett's unique voice or spirit in this book. The one part that I really liked that we didn't talk about um, was his his essay on 9-11. I feel like really had his like Shit. narrative voice. Shit, that's so important too. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's okay. We covered a lot of stuff, but it's, uh, I really, I recommend that part and truly only that part. He wrote a really, a really lovely essay on 9-11. Post Empire is really good and really sad. Like Brett had a really bad 2001. Yeah. Yeah. He also writes, he was, yeah, he had a stalker. He, it's, it's a That's good, a it's a pretty good chapter overall, but especially the part about like the immediate aftermath of 9-11, I think is like really, really well written. Um, and that's the only part of this book I really like. Uh, so I'm going to give it one helicopter mom <laughs> out of five. <laughs> All right. We did it. We rated it. This is officially for me, at least Brett's worst book. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really felt like it sapped the life out of me. And I'm glad it's done. I understand that. I'm like, I took up so much of your time. No, I it's great. To, I have it's like amazing. two hours more worth of points to make. I'll have to have you back. We can do a second. We can I, do a second episode. Are you kidding me? We can do a part two. <laughs> you can cover I can your write other like 15 pages, I think, on this book. And they'd be a lot better than the pages that Brett wrote on this book, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, I'll have to have you back. We can hit more of your points next time. So just, um, I'm so like organized with all my notes and there's. So, <laughs> I, hope, I hope it was entertaining and co cohesive, coherent. Um, you were fantastic. Yeah, you crushed it. <laughs> um, this was for real. This was wonderful. You were great. Um, and uh, already we've thought about this book more than Brett ever did. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we probably spent more time talking about it than brett spent writing it <laughs> i'm really happy that he said that writing this reignited his desire to write another novel which was something he had said previously he might never do like i'm really looking forward to his next novel i think there's hope yeah and <sighs> it also reading this has reinvigorated my desire to sort of do my thing which is read a lot into tiny little bits of information and string them all together <laughs> Um, I think I might start doing cultural criticism again. I love it. You'd be great at it. Yeah. Do I, it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Boring though. <laughs> All right. So with that out of the way, um, I like to give the listeners an opportunity to cleanse their literary palette uh, with a book that is written by not Brett Easton Ellis and ideally not by a cis white man at all. I always recommend something not by a cis white man. My guest is welcome to recommend whatever they like. Um, I am going to recommend um, a uh, the book The Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery. It is a memoir written by a, a zoologist um, who who spent a couple of years volunteering at an aquarium and getting to personally know some of the octopuses who live there, who all had very distinct personalities. And she's sort of asking the question of like, 
does an octopus have a soul? Like, what is a soul? Um, and it's it's a real it's a really beautiful book. Um, I already octopuses were already one of my favorite animals, and it, it validated that for me. Um, so it's uh, uh, it's just a very lovely and moving book that uh, I think just succeeds at being a memoir in all the ways that this book fails. <laughs> Liz, what would you like to recommend? That sounds really great. Um, I also have overdone it with the recommendations as I overdid uh, all of this. Uh, <laughs> I have about five sort of, yeah, I have five things to recommend. Three of them are books, sort of. Uh, okay. Actually, two of them are books. So one of them is uh, Guy Branham, just general recommendation. He has an album, Effable. Uh, he has a book, My Life is a Goddess. Please read those instead of this. Uh, he is also <laughs> a cis white man. So cis gay white man, like perfect. Just one to one there. Um, <laughs> There's also, okay, so I re recently, like very recently in the past year or two, got super into anime. I love it a lot. Um, and manga, I, I wasn't really into it before, now I am. And I just read this manga called, um, it's by Nagata Akabi, and it's called My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness. <gasps> and it's great. It's like a direct autobiographical true story about like this girl who's like depressed um, and like she's sort of in her 20s and living with her parents and not doing anything like not showering or leaving the house and just really stagnant in life. Um, and then she uh, hires an escort service. She gets a, uh, hires a girl from an escort service and just sort of her, the author being like really candid about what this is. There are a couple follow-ups um, that I haven't read yet, but reading that, like I really identified with that sense of like not being sure what you're doing and being sort of scared and overwhelmed and everything feeling like too much and not enough. So like super good one. All right. All right. I got, I got, this one's not at all a book. Um, there's a company in LA called PF Candle Company. And they make, they made a scent called Mojave. And it's like the perfect smell. Um, everyone I know from Southern California loves that candle. Lots of people who aren't from it uh, love that candle. They discontinue it, but like I've personally bothered them enough that sometimes they rerun it. And if you ever get a chance to smell Mojave uh, or bother at PF Candle Company about recontinuing re Mojave, um, it's just beautiful. It's like sort of, it smells like the desert at night. It's um, home in a way that I think Freddie Smells would love this candle. It just, it feels uh -huh. like home in a way that's tangible that never was for me before. Mm, wow. That's officially our first candle recommendation. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Then I got an anime series on Netflix. It's called Devil Man Crybaby. It's Paradise Lost, but really violent and horny. And well, Paradise Lost is really gay. Um, <laughs> but it's just really good and it's uh, anime. It's one of the first, yeah, it's like the second or third one I watched when I started getting into anime. So I, I started off good, like Yuri on Ice uh, and then Devilman Crybaby. And then my last recommendation, which is, um, it's called Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. The author is Hirohiko Araki, and I, I think I sort of half mentioned this one earlier. It's a uh, Punch Boys. It's oh yeah, literally like if you Google menacing meme, um, <laughs> it comes from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It's like a huge meme because they uh, they have what's it called like sound effects, <laughs> menacing. So like if you, there'll be references to it even throughout Western culture, um, where like you'll see sort of like this thing that sort of looks like a duck smiling. Um, like okay. a bunch of them in pure purple across the stream and what it literally means is menacing. So mm. yeah, that, that's why I meant okay, to yeah. 
But it's super gay, punk boys. And also, I recommend, along with that, the companion podcast, JoJo's Bizarre Explainer, which (laughs) many times is better than the show because um, the show, the the manga slash anime, the manga has been running since the 80s. Um, So, like, the early days of it are rough. The anime is pretty new. I think it started in 2013. Um, And JoJo's Bizarre Explainer covers the anime and, like, sort of, like, makes up for some of the older goofs that were made in the 80s and, like, sort of modernizes it and you want like they break it down episode by episode so you can watch an episode of the anime and then uh listen to an episode of the podcast and they're both very good uh very queer and i love them all right fantastic liz thank you so much for being here thank you for inviting me yeah um do you want to plug anything what's your twitter handle for the people my twitter handle is mix lizandry which is m-x-l-i-z-a-n-d-r-y it used to be miss lizandry which is misandry but I uh, changed my gender, so I had, had to deal with that. I had to lose that great pun that I had. Oh, um, tragic. Might start writing again soon. And if I do, uh, definitely my tiny letter or whatever is going to be, let me fix Brady Sinellis. Outstanding. Oh, I, I eagerly await it. Oh, you can maybe, ho- hopefully in the future, find me fixing Brady Sinellis. <laughs> yeah, so stay, <laughs> stay tuned for that. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I had a really great time on the show. Thank you. You were wonderful. Thank you guys for listening. Please check out some of our wonderful brother and sister podcasts here on the Major Casts Network. And follow me on Twitter at Katie L. Wright.